Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Christ and Me with Addie, where we seek to live out a John 3.30 life. John 3.30 says he must become greater and greater and I less and less. Let's be real. In today's world, it can seem impossible to live out what the Bible calls us to do. Not only can it be hard to understand sometimes, but finding the time to read the Bible, to understand the Bible, to know the Bible, it can just be overwhelming. So I created this podcast so we could walk alongside each other, share some of our stories and struggles, but also where the Lord is bringing us so that we can encourage one another and stay rooted in his word. It's my prayer that you walk away from each episode saying, I know that that is Christ in me. I know Christ in me. So let's get into today's topic. Welcome back to another episode of Christ and Me with Addie. It's that time of year again where people are posting the hashtag new year, new me. I don't know who remembers the hashtag 2020 vision that was trending around New Year's 2019, but we were all very excited for that year and well, we know how it went. So I wanted to talk about 2024 for the Lord, how to set godly goals for the new year. So I've seen a lot of posts saying that the last day of this year will be December 31st of 23. So numerically, that's one, two, three, one, two, three. There have been Instagram posts circulating with sayings like, the numbers are aligning for you, girl. This is your year. In another post I found, it read, the alignment signifies a magical transition from the current year to a new beginning filled with limitless possibilities. And I'll share one more. This person said, the last day of 2023 is a Sunday, and 123123 means new day, new week, new month, new year, new everything. A true Sunday reset. I find these posts so interesting because people are putting more faith in a sequential series of numbers that was always going to happen over faith and trust in God. And don't get me wrong, it's really cool that the numbers will be aligning. I understand that this is something that won't happen for like another century, but I don't think that it will have any effect on my life, prosperity, or opportunities. There's always new opportunities in the new year, in the new day. You know, scripture says that God's mercies are new every day. To comment off of one of the posts, God has been offering us a Sunday reset for centuries. It's called Sabbath where he invites us to put our true faith, trust, and peace in him to find true rest, comfort, and reassurance in life. So you might be asking, why did I start out the podcast by quoting some of these posts? Well, 2024 is just days away from us, and I wanted to use these posts as an example of how sometimes we put our hope in the wrong things. We see something and we're like, it's a sign. This this is my year. This is it. But also we put this immense pressure on ourselves sometimes to have an amazing year, to be a boss baddie, to be a goal setter, to dominate, to climb the corporate ladder, etc. And the thing is, goals aren't bad. Goals are great. The Bible has so much to say about avoiding laziness and being an effective human being. Proverbs tells us a lot about laziness. And for those who don't know, In the book of Proverbs, uh, wisdom is personified as a woman. So the holy wisdom that we can only attain from God is personified as a woman. So you'll see it referenced as she, and it's because wisdom is kind of poetically being personified as a woman. 
It was written by King Solomon, who, when asked by God what he would like, asked for the wisdom of God in, in a discerning heart. And that's in 1 Kings 3, 10 through 15. So these words regarding laziness that I'm about to share with you were written by the most wise man to ever live and be gifted wisdom from God. So here's what Proverbs has to say about a lazy person. It says, a lazy person hates work. In Proverbs 21, 25, it says the sluggard, that's someone who's really lazy or sloth-like, the sluggard's craving will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. It says that the lazy person loves sleep. So in verse 26, uh, in chapter 26, verse 14, as a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. It says that a lazy person gives excuses in chapter 26, verse 13. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. So kind of like the boy who cried wolf, they make excuses to never work. It also says that the lazy person will waste time and energy. And this is in chapter 18, verse 9. He who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great waster. It also says in chapter 26, verse 16, that uh, the the lazy person will overestimate themselves. They'll believe that they're wise, but they're actually a fool. It says the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who answer discreetly. Proverbs also tells us the end in store for the lazy. So a lazy person becomes a servant or a debtor. It says in uh, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 24, diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in labor. It also says that the lazy person has a bleak future. In chapter 20, verse 4, a sluggard does not plow in season. So at harvest, when he looks, he finds nothing. And it also says that lastly, the lazy person, <clears throat> excuse me, the lazy person may come to, pro to poverty. So it says in chapter 13, verse 4, the, the soul of the lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. So we get it, right? It's not great to be lazy and God, God calls us to work with fervor. But where I think we get off track is when we start to lead in our own strength as to what uh, good work or godly work looks like. The Bible says not to lead in our own strength. This is also in Proverbs. So again, from the wisest man, it says in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. So when it comes to our work or setting goals in the Lord, it's important to include him in those goals. It's saying in all your ways, acknowledge him, not to look at one, two, three, one, two, three, and acknowledge that over him and think that aligning numbers can do something that he can't. Another interesting thing about this verse above Again, from Proverbs, the wisest man, he said, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. He didn't say in some of your ways, acknowledge him and you'll be on the yellow brick road. He said in all your ways and your path will be straight. What he didn't say is that that straight path would be without bumps in the road or obstacles to overcome, inclement weather or dangers. He just said it would be straight. It would be ahead of you it would be foretold in a way. I think we often contribute success or closeness to God as how many difficulties we are without. 
However, how can we expect to not suffer sometimes in this life when even Jesus was not free from suffering? You know, his path, Jesus's path on Calvary, the, the uh, hill where he, he died on the cross, that was a clear-cut path. People knew the path to Calvary. People knew what happened to you if you went that direction, if you were carrying a cross up that way. Jesus's path was straight ahead of him, but it was not without suffering. So we too cannot attribute success to the lack of suffering. You can be successful in the eye of the Lord and still be dealing with a hard diagnosis. You can be blessed by God and still experience heartbreak. You can be close to the presence of the Lord and still be let go unexpectedly from your career. Don't let how the world paints success convince you that God is 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 not with you, that he is gone from you. If your eyes are on him, your path is clearly straight ahead of you, but it may not be without difficulty. The Bible also says not to try to achieve success among men for for public praise. So Colossians 3:23, whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men. So when you set goals or make plans for the future, it's important to ask yourself, am I doing this for the Lord or am I doing this for the approval of man? Galatians 1.10 says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This verse shows that we cannot be people pleasers and also please God. I think one of the most overlooked verses in the Bible is the one I just read. How often do we see Christian businesses maybe drifting from something that is supported by scripture because it's something that uh, maybe goes against the world's view on a certain topic? So they start to bend on certain areas because it's good for business, you know, but when we're true Christians, true believers, we can't bend to please the world. We have to hold fast to scripture. This is kind of a bad example, but I've noticed this weird phenomena among women on social media in recent months. I feel like there are so many coined, like, girly phrases that gain trust among women as a community, as a whole on social media um, that you never meet. You know, you never meet these women that you're commenting these things, but they're, again, like these coined sayings that perpetuate this weird sort of, like, goal-getter community. Like, we've developed our own language in a way. But the funny thing is, if you go to any comment section, it's like a fight to see who can comment these things first, and each person thinks that they're the original or the first person to have ever said it, when in all actuality, it's like, I can't stop hearing this everywhere I go. Um, But I feel like these phrases sort of encourage baddie behavior or like boss babe behavior. One of them that I've been hearing a lot is, it's giving. I don't know if anyone has seen that, but people are like, oh, girl, yes, it's giving Taylor Swift or, you know, whatever. But it's like, no, give it to God. Give it to God, girl. It's not giving. Just give it to God. Or like all the horoscope sayings that are cute but controversial to Scripture because we know that horoscopes and uh, astrology is not in alignment with Scripture, which you can find in Deuteronomy. And maybe I'll do a podcast episode extensively on that one day. But I saw this quote the other day that said, if horoscopes aren't real, then then why am I a Gemini to a T? And it's like, no, friend, it's because you're, the world is ru- ruling your heart over the word. Of course, you're going to start to look by like what you surround yourself by. So if you're surrounding yourself by the world, of course, you're going to start to look like other girls who might ironically fall into the same astrological um, 
subdivision as you. Whereas if you're encompassing the word, you're going to start to look like a Proverbs 31 woman and you won't be defined by the stars, but you'll be defined by the creator of the stars, the one who put them in order, who, who put you here on the earth. The latest one that I've heard is soft launch versus hard launch. And I'm like, friends, God has been a hard launch since like Genesis. <laughs> so don't get me wrong. I occasionally do find these sayings funny, but what I'm trying to get at is that a lot of times we lead in things without realizing it, that we're doing it for the approval of others to, to further ourselves and to um, kind of make ourselves stand out or rise above. And we tend to overlook what God actually wants over what we want. So now that we know the purpose of goal setting, why we work hard, and also who we are to focus on when we set goals or, or work, let's talk about how to actually set some godly goals for the new year so your 2024 and forevermore can be for the Lord. I want to make sure that's stated is that this isn't just something that's relevant to, to 2024. This should be the posture of our hearts year round. But since it's such a topical thing to talk about goals in the new year and achieving and striving, you know, in resolutions, I thought this would be a good time to kind of bring up how to set these godly goals. So I'm going to list out a few godly goals and sort of practical practices that you could maybe pick one or two to focus on in the new year. And before I list off some of these lifestyle disciplines, it's important to note that they take time and they're going to take effort on your part. You'll have to be willing to set aside maybe the first 15 minutes of your morning or even your lunch breaks at work um, to actually be effective in these. We can't allow laziness to creep in even when it comes to our spiritual disciplines. They say that people who set New Year's resolutions, most of them fall off, I think it's by the second week of February. So you have to actually put things into place to ensure that, that you won't fall off from these practices. So I want to challenge you to pick one or two of these disciplines I'm about to list off. I have 10 of them for you. Um, in your new year to focus on um, godly goals, to give them to God and to plan them with God. The first one is finding a Bible study that works for you. It's important to know that all godly goals involve scripture. Every single godly goal involves scripture. The Bible is the foundation for Christianity, and without it, we cannot fully understand who God is, what he's done, and who he calls us to be. If you're struggling to trust the Bible as being a collection of ancient manuscripts found over time, um, check out my episode, How Do I Know I Can Trust the Bible First? Just the other day, I had a woman reach out to me on Instagram, and she was telling me about how she doesn't st study the Bible or attend church, but she watches messages from one specific pastor who has a little bit of controversy, this, this pastor, um, but she said she has great faith. And she asked me, am I doing it all wrong? I told her, you know, you're seeking after God and that, I just want to say, I'm proud of you for that. You're asking the question. So I'm proud of you for that. I told her that the Bible though is so essential to knowing that we are on track with God because it's our foundation as believers. Without it, we're just picking and choosing who we want God to be and how we want to live. Without that foundation, we're essentially deciding for ourselves our own God instead of turning to the God of creation who's already written about all of creation for our answers. So her and I had an amazing conversation and she wants to start understanding scripture for herself, which was really encouraging for me as well. But reading the Bible isn't just a good discipline. It's life changing. The Bible is the only book that as you read it, it reads you. 
Scripture reveals to us the true motives and desires of our heart. In previous years, I personally have followed the Bible study reading plan from the Daily Grace Company. This year, they're doing a more in-depth study of the New Testament, and if anybody wants to do it alongside me, I'll link all of the details in this episode. So if you're watching on YouTube, it'll be down in the little comments, and if you're watching or listening through a podcast platform, I'll have that linked below as well. I also have a podcast episode titled My Best Bible Study Tips. That would be a good place to start to help you prepare to take on the goal of reading the Bible more consistently. The last thing I'll say about reading the Bible is that I know it seems like a difficult task. I used to have, I had a Bible for seriously over a decade in my nightstand that I never touched. I felt more Christian just knowing it was there, but I never picked it up touched it or read it because I'd open a page and be like, I don't know what the heck that means. I talk about this in my um, How Do I Know I Can Trust the Bible episode and also my Best Bible Study Tips episode, but reading the Bible did not come naturally to me. I'm not a huge fan of history. I'm not a history buff. I'm like an artsy person through and through. And so I just want to say like, I understand how difficult and daunting it can seem to start the reading the Bible, but like any other skill or um, life goal, you have to just start one day. You have to just start one day. Even in our study time of the Bible, we need God's wisdom like King Solomon. We need his help to guide us in our understanding. So if you've ever really struggled to read the Bible, have you prayed before you read the Bible to say, God, I need you in this. I really don't get it. I need your help. Once I began to understand the Bible more, it seriously became like a Netflix series that I could not stop binging. It all started making sense and I needed to know like what happens next and okay, what did this person do? Because I've been through that before. Like how did they respond? And it's all right there. God is just waiting for you to start. And if the Bible is already familiar to you, don't allow yourself to be blinded by what you think you already know. God reveals new things to me each time I reread it, and maybe he wants to bring you a fresh wind and a fresh breath back into your life and into your soul. The second sort of spiritual discipline is prayer. I want to ask you, how's your prayer life? If you looked at your prayer life as how many times you've picked up the phone to call God, how many calls have you made to him this week or this month or this year? Prayer shouldn't just be our last resort sort of lifeline or our one free call when we're in jail, but prayer should be our daily heart posture as we maintain a relationship to God. It's like my grandma, if I've gone a couple days without calling her, she texts me and she's like, you alive? So I know I need to pick up the phone and call her often to maintain that relationship. And God feels the same way about maintaining a relationship with you and me. I recently went on a mission trip to Kenya in April And I found myself really struggling to pray after the trip. While I was there, I saw the great needs of the people and was praying for them. But when I came home, I was struggling with things that seemed so much smaller. So I found myself not praying about them because there were bigger problems in the world. But something that God so graciously reminded me of is that God cares and hears the prayers of all his children. We never have to feel like your prayer is too big or even too small for the Lord. I know sometimes prayer can feel one-sided or like God is just taking his sweet time in answering. 
And if you've ever felt that way, I just want you to know you're not alone. And I want you to listen to my episode titled, Does Prayer Really Work After This? The third sort of spiritual discipline is confession or repentance. This is something that can go alongside prayer. And typically I pretty much always repent within prayer. But how often do you confess your sins to God or express your remorse to God? I know none of us like facing uh, when we know we've done something wrong, but repentance is essential in the life of a believer. Jesus says in Luke 13, 5, that unless we repent, we will perish. Repentance is what gives us a clean slate again so we can move forward new with God. Romans 2, 4 says God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God isn't this bully who's demanding an apology. He's so kind that he's mercifully hoping that his kindness will lead you to recognize fault and come to him in forgiveness. Repentance is necessary in learning true humbleness and humility before God. It's a great discipline for your heart to recognize no one is perfect but God. Uh, The pastor's wife at my church recently shared this story. I wasn't familiar with it, but Kathy Lee Gifford, she's famous for being like a hostess on different shows. She apparently had this enemy in Hollywood, Howard Stern, um, and apparently Howard Stern would just talk terribly about her on the air, and he'd never even met her. And one day, Howard Stern and Kathy Lee were in the same uh, studio. So Kathy went to Howard and was like, hey, I just want to introduce myself. I'm Kathy Lee. Um, I just want to say, have, have a great show today. And later that day, apparently, Howard Stern called Kathy and apologized and said, I've been so terrible to you over the years, and you showed me so much kindness, and I just want to say sorry. And I think that's kind of the posture that God is trying to take here. He's just repeatedly showing us kindness no matter how many times we wrong God in hopes that one day it will change our heart to turn and ask for forgiveness. The fourth spiritual discipline is worship. Do you spend time with God praising and worshiping Him? This discipline helps us not only to acknowledge the goodness of God, but to find a heart of true gratitude to to God for His goodness. When I first came into the non-denominational church, I remember seeing people like raising their hands in worship, and I thought it was so weird. Not even kidding. I thought it was so weird. I come from a more traditional um, background, which you can hear more about in my testimony episode, but it weirded me out so much that I would just kind of stand there in church, like really loved church, but I would stand there like a statue until one day. The presence of God was so heavy on me. I was moved to tears in the middle of worship and out of an act of ultimate surrender to an almighty and powerful God, I just extended my hand up to heaven and I worshiped with everyone all around me. I stood hand in air feeling publicly exposed, but also so understood, accepted, and surrounded by fellow believers also having the same moment with God. Have you ever encountered the Lord in that way? The Greek word for worship, I'm not even going to try to say it, so I'll spell it, is P-R-O-S-K-U-N-E-O. And that means to encounter God and praise Him. So to worship means to encounter God and praise Him. Make it a spiritual habit to open yourself up to an encounter with God. Maybe for you, that's like what I just described, kind of corporate worship um, within fellowship at a church. Maybe it's in nature as you just praise God for the majesty of his creation. There are endless possibilities to worship. If this is a dis- 
discipline you want to develop, I would highly recommend starting out by just finding a local church that feels like home. And you can stay tuned because I have an episode coming out soon titled How to Find a Church or how to Tips on How to Find a Local Church. The fifth tip is fasting. Have you ever done a fast before? Many, many Christians and churches do a fast at the beginning of the year. More liturgical or traditional churches do a Lenten fast, and this is a fast for 40 days in remembrance of the Israelites being freed from slavery out of Egypt when uh, Moses parted the Red Sea and they escaped from Pharaoh. So Lent is um, kind of in remembrance of when they wandered in the desert for 40 years and had to depend on God daily for their provision because God provided them with manna from the sky. And uh, so it's kind of in remembrance of just God's ultimate faithfulness. Fasting can be from anything. Whatever you feel called in prayer to refrain from is kind of decided between you and God. Traditionally, it's been food. You know, you skip one meal a day or you refrain from eating meat on Fridays or, um, you know, you refrain from alcohol or caffeine or maybe even TV. I remember one year for Lent, my brother gave up his bed. (laughs) So for 40 days, he just slept on the floor. And so fasting is not only to help us practice the fruit of the spirit that is self-control, but it's to gain spiritual discipline and new perspective and closeness to God. It shows a sacrificial heart to God. Sure, it's easy to just not fast and to challenge yourself, but why just go about your life when you can go kind of the extra mile for God? Not because we can earn his favor, but because we know that it helps correct something in us to posture us more towards God. So when I was involved in the fitness world, there was a challenge called 75 hard. They say it takes 75 consistent days to make something into a habit. So for 75 days, you would follow a rigorous set of rules to improve self-discipline, better health, and better physique. Now imagine if everyone who did 75 hard did that for God, and instead they read their Bibles every morning, no failures. They refrained from something they enjoyed, a focus on the Lord. And think of the way lives would be transformed spiritually and the discipline that would be built for God if people did that for God instead of themselves. That's kind of the point of fasting. It's a challenge to deepen your discipline before God. The sixth is generosity. I talk about this subject in greater depth in my episode titled, Is It Important to Tithe? But ask yourself, how many times have you asked God to bless your finances But then when was the last time that you gave and was generous? I'm going to be completely honest in saying that this probably is my most difficult spiritual discipline. You can listen to this in my testimony episode, but I've had a lot of struggle in my life. And as someone who has struggled in my past, um, which things are good now, I don't want to worry any of you, but just having that sort of I don't even want to call it PTSD, but just being able to remember how little I had before, I find myself still experiencing that fight or flight sort of response when it comes to giving. It's in my nature to store up as much as I can for myself to just, you know, just in case there's some sort of doomsday possibility always in my mind. But what God helped me realize is that a true heart of generosity has peace I've been able to give with faith and trust that God is calling me to give in a way that, you know, instills a peace in me 
and brings blessing to my life, but also might help answer the prayers of others? What if this year, instead of setting goals for new wealth, you set goals for how God may be calling you to be more generous? The seventh is joy. How can you find deeper joy in life? Maybe you struggle with depression, anxiety, body image, or low self-esteem issues. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. What would it look like for you to find strength in the Lord to receive joy instead of the world? I love this verse because it reminds us that joy is attainable. Joy isn't just this fleeting thing that only comes once in a while or that it's just for the extremely beautiful and wealthy. No, joy can be found in the Lord, true and lasting joy. My favorite quote of all time is by Christine Kane, and she said to try waking up every day and thanking God for another day and saying, I wake up in joyful anticipation of what you're about to do in my life. What if you woke up every day and said that phrase? What if you woke up every day and said, Lord, I choose joy. I wake up in joyful anticipation of what you're about to do in my life. I set aside the standards of the world. I'm looking past my financial hardship. I'm looking beyond my struggles. And today I choose joy. Help me to believe it and find it in you. Maybe you make that your goal is to wake up every day and say, Lord, I wake up in joyful anticipation of what you're about to do. The eighth suggestion is fellowship. How often do you gather with God's people? What does your friend group look like? Do you have godly accountability? Do you surround yourself with others who know and love the Lord? I remember when I first came to the faith, my two friend groups felt so polarized. I had my old friend group, and then I had like the new friend group of churchgoers that I was meeting as I was exploring my faith and trying to figure it all out. I was ashamed for one friend group to meet the other because they were so different, so I kept them very separate, and it felt like I was just living this double life. I was fresh out of a relationship, and I had one friend group inviting me out out to the bars to, to just drink and forget him and meet somebody new on Tinder, while the other friend group was inviting me to Bible studies and, you know, alcohol-free, just fun, laughing game nights at their house. Over time, my morals stopped aligning with the friend group out at the bars, and things naturally moved to a place where I was being encouraged and lifted up by the friends who were also helping me in my faith journey. Maybe this year you seek the same. Maybe you too feel polarized in your friend groups, like you made bad decisions with one group on a Saturday night, but then you try to erase it all Sunday morning with the church group of friends. What would it look like this year to surround yourself with godly friends and enjoy fellowship that is helping your spiritual health? I prayed for godly friends and God brought them. There was a time in my life where I just felt like I didn't have anybody around me who, who cared, who like truly cared, who didn't just want to have a good time with me, but who, who truly cared about who I am and my needs and my dreams. But it also took willingness on my end to not go out to the bars on Saturday nights so I would actually make it to church on Sunday or to feel comfortable going to a friend group hangout where there was no alcohol. So I mentioned like alcohol-free game nights. It it was uncomfortable at first because I had to go and trust that people would like me for just me and not just Addie after a drink or two. It took willingness to be initially uncomfortable 
to find comfort in new and healthier friendships. The purpose of fellowship is painted beautifully here in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. So this was written by Paul, who was encouraging people in the new churches and different denominations that were springing up just to hold fast to unity, to encourage one another, because it's all about Christ at the center. So maybe this year you join a new Bible study group or, or a new small group at church. Maybe you go to a women's conference at a local church and you try to make new connections. Give it to God and be willing to go where he opens new opportunities. The ninth is obedience. So I know the word obedience gives many people the ick, but truthfully, it's very beautiful. Being obedient to God is not like forceful submission or anything like that. Being obedient to God is one of the greatest heart postures we can willingly achieve. Obedience not only stems from deep respect, but also love and trust. For example, for all the dog moms out there, you'll totally relate to this, but my dog is like my pride and joy. I know one of the greatest things that makes me love my dog so deeply is that she listens to me. She is obedient on her good days um, to me as her caretaker. She shows me love and gives me all the cute puppy cuddles, but she also looks to me for direction. She seeks being obedient from me. She's My dog's deaf, which is why this makes us ironic, but she's constantly looking to me for direction. Um, So while she can't physically hear me, she does hear me and acknowledge me and, and seek my direction. As humans, obviously we are so much more advanced than dogs, but even within an animal who can't speak, or in my dog's case, she can't you know, speak or hear, we can see God's design. We too can be obedient to God as our caretaker out of true love and respect for him. And when we truly love God, it's a natural response to be obedient to his word. What would it look like for you this year to be truly obedient to God's word, to take it seriously as helpful instruction for your life meant to care for you and not to harm you? What if you've lived or what if you lived a life that trusts that the things that scripture lays out as harmful, such as sex before marriage or drunkenness or gossip and more, what if you led a life where you actually believed those things were spiritually harmful? I think all too often we downplay the seriousness of God's word, like, oh, I'll be okay. He's looking out for me. But we don't hold up our end of the deal, which is obedience. The tenth and last point is stillness. I know what you're thinking. How can you embrace stillness after you just talked about how it's important to not be lazy? And the stillness that I'm talking about here is a sort of mental and spiritual stillness, so not a physical stillness, although it could be a physical stillness sometimes as well. But how often are we wearing busyness as a badge of honor when maybe all God wants us to do is just sit in his presence? There's a beautiful song that encompasses this idea called I Won't Move by Life Church Worship, and the lyrics say, When my eyes cannot see, it's your voice that's leading me. Out of darkness into light, it's your love breaking through the night. I won't move until you speak. It's a song about resting in the stillness of God until he speaks to you. And sometimes we say God is on silent. And my comment to that is, how can we say God has been silent when our Bibles have been closed? He's already spoken. And sometimes he's just waiting for you to read what he already has for you. 
Stillness is a beautiful thing to be embraced when you feel the world becoming too loud. It's so easy to see the news and politics and and things that are just so heavy and hard and just feel this loudness and chaos in your mind. Like you can't catch a break, like you can't get away from it, or like your mind is just constantly racing. But what would it look like for you if instead of flipping on Netflix to decompress or booking a spontaneous trip somewhere or scrolling through your phone, that instead you just sat in the presence of God and asked him for a still and quiet mind? Psalm 4610, we hear these words, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes to gain greater closeness to him isn't about setting greater goals or achieving more, but being still in him, trusting that he is God. And if we strive after him, he will bring us the life he intends for us. So to wrap things up, I wanted to give examples of my godly goals. So those were 10 points, which to go through them one more time, The first one was finding a Bible study that works for you. The second is prayer. Third is confession or repentance. The fourth is worship. Fifth is fasting. Sixth is generosity. Seventh is joy. Eighth is fellowship. Ninth is obedience. And the tenth is stillness. So to kind of go over my goals and just give some examples and how I'm setting them with the Lord as my foundation, utilizing these 10 disciplines I listed, um, I want to kind of share how I structure my goals. So I use the SMART method of goal setting, which stands for specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and timely. So the first goal I have in the new year is to be more present for the people around me. I think so often we get caught up in what does the Lord have for me? And we forget our greatest call in life is to share the Lord with others. So this year, I want to make sure I am truly fellowshipping with all those around me and not just being too busy, I guess, for the people around me. Sometimes I feel like I'm so busy doing church things that I forget to actually engage with the church. And for those who don't know, I work full-time in ministry um, doing social media and graphics. So I'm behind the scenes a lot. So I have to remind myself to kind of come out of hiding to actually engage with people. But I don't want to just engage with those who are my friends. I want to engage with strangers. As a natural introvert, this does not come easy to me. And I know you may be thinking, well, that's nice, but like, how does that help you in your life? Of course, we don't want to do things only for um, an expectation to gain, but who knows? What if by engaging more people, God helps me to meet someone who has a helpful connection for me in the future? That's the thing. When you're walking in obedience to God, He works out the rest. So to be more specific, I want to try to introduce myself to one new person each week at church. There's my specific and measurable while also doing my job at church. So maybe that means staying a little later than usual. And I want to keep a journal of who I meet each week to try to better remember their names and continue engaging with them. So there's my achievable and realistic, and the timely factor would be reached by seeking this weekly. So my second goal is to follow the in-depth New Testament study I mentioned by the Daily Grace Company this year to deep dive into the New Testament. Since I've been focusing in previous years on reading the entire Bible in a year, this year I'm excited to break it down even further into a more like achievable section of just New Testament. So my specific goal 
is to follow the Daily Grace Co's Year in the Bible podcast by doing uh, their reading and listening to the daily podcast breakdown, while also utilizing their study book that goes along with the podcast um, to accompany me in this reading plan. So here we see the specific goal that is measurable by, um, da- by daily completion. It's achievable and realistic because I will allot 15 to 20 minutes of every morning to do this, and I will get the study book that accompanies the podcast to help me in the goal. And lastly, it's timely because I know this will be completed in a year. So I hope those two examples help you to pick goals um, that help you in your walk towards God this year. And if this episode has helped you, I would love to hear some of your 2024 goals that you've set for your new year. And you can share those with me over on um, Instagram at Addie Overla. I hope you guys have been having an amazing holiday season with your friends and family. And I'll see you next week on Christ in Me with Addie. We're going to be talking about New Year, Same God. Is the God of the Old Testament the same as God of the New Testament that we serve, know, and love today? I'll see you then. Bye.